We're continuing our uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God in our lives. And Jesus, in sitting down with followers, preached a sermon that we have captured in three chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in this, he is talking uh, about really how to live as a kingdom citizen. How do you live as a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ? And he's talked everything about the character and about our influence and talked about a superior righteousness. And and then he begins to talk about getting your priorities right and getting your motives right. And then you get to the where we closed out last week where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And, And don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries on its own. And then it seems right when he moves to chapter seven, he moves right into another section to where he talks about how we are to uh, really relate to others. And some can look at this first two chapters and say, man, he set out some pretty lofty ideals. And so what will happen if somebody kind of lives that type of life? I mean, they, they really are living out the, the Beatitudes and they're salt and light. And uh, they, are, they are, uh, don't have any anxieties. They're not laying their treasures up on earth, but they're laying their treasures up in heaven. We could get to the point where we kind of puff ourselves up. And we could get to the point where we feel pretty good about who we are, especially when we look around and see others that aren't doing as well in this Christian walk as, as we are. And so Jesus comes to a warning in, uh, in this first verse of chapter 7. And in the warning that he gives, it is a verse of Scripture that is probably misused and abused more than anything else that Jesus ever talked about. In fact, if you just walked out on the street and you asked somebody, you said, can you give me a verse out of the Bible? What, give me, give me one. And when you began to think about what they would say, a lot of people would say Matthew 7 verse 1. They don't know it's in Matthew 7 verse 1, but they know what it says. Judge not, lest you be judged. Now I want you to look at this, and I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. Because when you look at, at Matthew 7, 1, 1, and it says, judge not that you be not judged, it like fits in perfect with our culture because our culture thinks that, that our religion should be private and that morality uh, should be something that's relative. So you have private religion, relative morality, and whenever you come to someone and say what you're doing is wrong, they don't like it. And they will quickly come back and say, but doesn't your Bible say judge not so that you're not judged? So you shouldn't judge me. You shouldn't judge what I'm doing and say it's wrong. And so as a believer, how do we come back with that? Is that really what Jesus was saying? Well, let's look and let's see exactly what he was saying and take completely into context what this passage is. So if you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 7, starting in the very first verse, we'll read through six verses. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn 
to attack you. Now, I'm calling this sermon Sawdust Seekers and Plank Purgers, and we're going to understand that as we get on further into our message. But I think the very first thing that we need to talk about is what this passage does not say. When Jesus says, judge not, lest you also be judged, he is not saying that we are to be an undiscerning person who has no opinions about right and wrong. He is not saying that we need to refuse to discern between truth and error and goodness and evil. He is not saying that we can't tell people that what they're doing is wrong. And he's not saying that you have to just turn a blind eye to people's faults. He's not saying this at all. You say, well, Danny, how do you know that? We know that because of his other teachings and because of his life itself. Jesus spent his ministry telling people that they were in error. Now, if you keep your Bibles open, chapter 7, look to verse 13. Just a few verses down, right after Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, verse 13 says, you enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. But in verse 13, again, he says, there is this wide gate and it leads to destruction, I'd say right there, Jesus is sitting there and making some judgments and saying, hey, there's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate. The narrow gate is the way to go. The wide gate's where most people are taking. It's going to lead them to hell. It's going to lead them to destruction. In Matthew twenty two twenty nine, Jesus was talking to a group called the Sadducees, and he, it says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. So he came right in and he judged somebody using this and saying, you are wrong. I'm letting you know you have completely missed the scriptures. John 7, 7, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So Jesus is not telling us you're not supposed to point out things that are wrong or or the difference between goodness and evil. He's not saying that because he does that in his own ministry. But Jesus also encourages us to be discerning. Look in chapter 7 of Matthew. Keep staying right there. Verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets. How do you know if someone's a false prophet? You've got to discern. You've got to realize there's truth and there's falsehood. I've got to discern those who are saying things that are false. Verse 16, he says, you recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, you'll recognize them by their fruits. You're like a fruit inspector. You're to recognize the fruit. You have to discern what is right and what is wrong. And in John 7, 24, he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So the first thing we need to understand is what Jesus is not saying. When he says, judge not, lest you be judged, he is not saying that, we're, we, that we are to be undiscerning people. And we know that just from everything else he taught and his life. So if it's not that, so then what does it mean? All right. This is the warning of judge not. This is what the warning of judge not means. And I've got four things I'd love for you to write down today and uh, to help us all to better understand this particular passage. Uh, the first point is one that uh, I, I listened to a sermon that J.D. Greer, the pastor of the Summit Church in North Carolina, and I love this point that he has. And he says this, number one, judge someone not when you assess their position, but when you dismiss them as a person. When Jesus used the phrase, judge not, he is saying this. It means you judge someone not when you assess their position, but when you dismiss them as a person. Not judging does not mean not telling the truth, 
but it means casting off that person after you tell them the truth. You see, it's what you do after you tell someone the truth determines if you are judging in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. There's nothing wrong with assessing the position, pointing out something that someone is doing wrong, uh, some direction they're going that is, that is going to lead them to destruction. There's no problem with that. The problem is when we get to the point that once we assess their position, we dismiss them as a person. We cut them off. We have nothing to do with them. And so when you look at Jesus and look at his example, you look at, at what he did. In John three seventeen, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world. God did not send me to condemn the world. But yet, this same Jesus who said he didn't come to condemn the world pointed out evil. He pointed out worldliness. He pointed out works of evil. But what he did was he didn't dismiss us. You see, as he came and he assessed our position, you go to John three sixteen, and it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, would not die, but would have eternal life. And so what Jesus did was after he came and he assessed our position, he didn't dismiss us, he pulled us closer to himself. And you see, in the midst of the one who's lived a perfect life, he then came, gave us perfect truth, and in giving us perfect truth, he has assessed our position as sinners, but he didn't dismiss us. But he demonstrated, God demonstrated his love for them that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what Jesus did was he said, I'm not here to condemn you, you're already condemned. What I'm here to do is I'm here to save you. And he wanted to bring him closer. And so we began to think about judge not, Judge not is when you come and not only do you assess a person's position, but when you assess the position, you dismiss that person and you cut them off. And so he's saying, that's not what you should do. Judge not so that you would not be judged. William Warren made a statement that kind of connects with this. And he says, relationships are based on redemptive empathy rather than condemning detachment. Relationships are based on redemptive empathy rather than condemning detachment. When we look at this verse about, about judging, when you come in and see someone and you go in with the attitude of judging them to where you're condemning them and detaching from them, you are doing nothing to keep that relationship together. If you're wanting to develop a relationship, it's based on redemptive empathy. And you're going to, we're going to see this as we walk through further in this, in this passage. Okay. All right. Number two, judge someone in a hypercritical, condemning and destructive way. This is what judge not means. When he says judge not, he's saying that's when you judge someone in a hypercritical, condemning and destructive way. Don't be a fault finder in a negative, destructive way towards people. To where you, it's what, it's what Michael was saying up here, to where you almost enjoy seeing the failures of others. Now we need to realize this. It's okay to stand up for what is right and what is, uh, and point those things out. And you need to point out the things that are right and point out the things that are wrong. But you are not to be on a fault finding mission like a heat seeking missile set to destroy someone. And this is where we get so concerned is people who have this hypercritical, condemning, destructive attitude. And they've got their almost head on a swivel looking for people who've done things wrong and then they pounce on what they've done wrong and it's like a heat-seeking missile saying, I'm going to point out your faults. And when they point out your faults, it's, it's to an extreme 
of being hypercritical. And whenever they point it out, there'll be condemnation. And whenever they're condemning, it is to destroy you. And when we develop this type of critical, condemning attitude as a pattern of life, we have forced love out of our relationships with others, and we fail to demonstrate God's mercy and forgiveness. The last song we just sang was mercy, mercy, talking about God's mercy. And if, if our judgment of others, when we see someone that's doing something that when you can open up God's word and say, this is wrong, how do you approach that? And Jesus is warning us that we are not to come at it by dismissing the person. We're not to come at it as hypercritical, as condemning them, and destructive in any way. But there is to be love, and there's to be mercy, and there's to be forgiveness that is to be a part of all of this. Number three, the tone of your life is going to become the tone of your judgment. The tone of your life is going to become the tone of your judgment. Verse two. Verse 2 says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, look closely at that. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a lot of this. Um, What he's telling you here is that your hypercritical spirit will have destroyed much of the good that you had already done in your life. And if the tone of your life is going to be a harsh, judgmental, critical person, then guess what? Then God's going to judge you that same way. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. How many of us want to pray this prayer? God, judge me as I judge my fellow men and women. But you know... That's kind of what Jesus has told us throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How will you receive mercy if you're merciful? Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Hey, you remember the uh, sermon, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12? And he says, and forgive us our debts in the same way that we have forgiven our debtors. And we looked at that and we said, whoa, that's pretty strong. That just as I forgive others, Lord, I want you to forgive me that same way. And then he built on it, Matthew six fourteen through 15. And he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so we're saying, Lord, forgive me my sins in the same proportion that I forgive others. Now he's coming here talking about judgment and your attitude and spirit. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we began to look through judgmental eyes. We've got to ask ourselves the question, do we really want the standard of God's justice to be applied to ourselves the way we are prone to apply it to others? You see, God exercises justice and mercy. Therefore, we are to reflect God's character by living justly and showing mercy. Now, it says here, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What was measured to you in your sins? You know what was measured to you and to me? It was mercy. It was mercy. Every one of us are sinners that have been separated from God. Every one of us have lived imperfect lives. And because of our imperfect lives, we are separated from a holy God. That is just an established fact. And God could have easily just looked down at us and been hypercritical, condemning, and saying, there's no hope for you, Danny, and when you die, you spend eternity in hell separated me from ever. But you see, the measure that God gave to me was a measure of mercy. 
And he looked down on this rebellious heart, and in this rebellious heart, he says, I will come in and I will save your soul and I will change your life. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live that perfect life and to be that sacrifice and pay a debt that I couldn't pay. And when he died on the cross, took all those sins on him. And then three days later, he was raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. And all of a sudden, as he's come from here, it is that you have an opportunity to be a part of God's family. You've got that opportunity to be a part of his family. And out of mercy, this is what he's done for us. And so when it says the tone of your life is going to determine the tone of your judgment, if we live lives that are merciful and a loving, then our judgment from our Father is going to be merciful and is going to be loving. Now, you can be a Christian, make a decision for Christ, and be a harsh judge of others. You'll make it to heaven. But then it says there'll be judgments after that. And it could be, uh, it, it may not be a pretty picture at times when we're there standing before the throne of God. Now, we're saved. But God may come to us the way we've come to others. That's what he says right here. He says, listen, the measure that you want to come to you, you need to give to others. So the tone of your life, term the tone of your, of your judgment, okay? Number four, there is a tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of your own. There is a tendency to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of your own. Now, I know this is a real shocker, isn't it? I know none of us are guilty of this. It's amazing the things that other people do that are just so horrific that we've never done and would never think about uh, on there. But look how he does it. Look at the big hyperbole that Jesus uses. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? And just looking at the way you've got it. Why do you see the speck? So I'm walking around and I see, and I see the speck that's in your eye. But in the meantime, I've got this huge log that's sticking out of my eye, and I don't even notice it. I don't even notice it. But, you know, I'm looking pretty close, and I can kind of see that speck in your eye, and I'm sitting here, got this huge log in mine. New International Version uses the word sawdust and plank. You don't see, you can see that sawdust in that person's eye, but then you don't see that huge plank that is sitting in your own eye. And so there's a tendency for me to exaggerate the faults of others, and yet I minimize the gravity of my own. Then you get to verse 4, and he says, or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? How can you say that to your brother? How could I walk up to you? How could I walk up to you, Garrett, and say, you know what? You got a little sawdust in your eye. Let me get that out of your sawdust. Your first response to me is, hey, Danny, you got a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Why don't you get that puppy out of there before you come in there and start working on this? That would be true, right? And so what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, when you're seeing the speck in other people's eyes, you got to first notice and deal with that plank that is in your own eye. You see, we've got this rosy view of ourselves and a jaundiced view of others. We should apply to ourselves at least as strict and critical a standard as we apply to others. Wouldn't that be great? Boy, we, we set some high standards for other people. What Jesus is saying, put that same standard for yourself, that same critical standard. So then you say, okay, so then what happens next? Verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck 
out of your brother's eye. Now, look really clearly. Because I remember reading this verse, and many times when I read this verse, I thought he was saying, take the plank out of your eye, so then you will see more clearly that speck in another person's eye. I used to think that it's, I couldn't see your speck really good because I've got this huge uh, plank in my eye. No. Read it, clear, read it <laughs> clearly. <laughs> it says, you take the log out of your own eye, and then you will, clearly, you will see clearly why. To take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's nowhere in here where Jesus is, says, hey, you're not supposed to look and see any wrong that's anybody's life. He doesn't say that. In fact, over here, it's almost encouraged. If you see somebody that's going down the wrong direction, if you see somebody that's doing some things that are wrong or some things that are dangerous or things that are going to be hurtful, when you see them going down the wrong way, you need to deal with it. But you see, before you deal with it, you got to deal with yourself. And you got to be in the right attitude and the right spirit before you deal with it. And he says, you need to take that log or that plank out of your eye so then you can see clearly how to take the speck out of his eye. Before you can approach somebody else, you need to examine yourself. And then you come to a humble, self-examined life that's already removed the plank of self-righteous judgment. And then you can do this. Okay? So, he talks about two different kinds of people. And that's how we're going to close our message today, is look at two different kinds of people. There is the sawdust seeker, and there's a plank purger. A sawdust seeker and a plank purger. Let's look at them. Number one, a sawdust seeker. What is a sawdust seeker? This is a sawdust seeker. It's one who actively seeks out faults in others in order to criticize and tell others about it. This is a sawdust seeker. You didn't just happen to, I didn't just happen to walk by Garrett and see he's got something in his eye. No, I'm really actively looking to find something wrong in Garrett, which would be so difficult to do. I know that, Garrett. All right. But I would be, it means I'm actively seeking to find fault in others so I can criticize them. And it's not going to stop there. So I can tell other people about them. Okay. I know none of you are guilty of this, but yet in your mind, you have a family member who is, but just hang on with me. Okay. Sawdust seekers actively seeks out faults in others. It's the person that you meet and the first thing they do, they'll find something negative. They can find something negative about you. Actively seeks out faults in others. And you do this in order to criticize and then to tell others about it. Sawdust seekers. These are sawdust seekers, number one. The reason they do this is, number one, it enhances their reputation by knocking down someone else's. Enhances their reputation by knocking down someone else's. The best way for me to puff myself up is to bring you down. I can only do as much as I can do, but I'm kind of at this level. But in order to build me up, I've got to bring you down. So that's a sawdust seeker. Want to enhance my reputation? I got to knock down someone else's. Somebody does good. Something good happens their way. Just God's blessings have been poured out on them. Maybe it was a better job. Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's a, a, a bigger house or a better car or a better, they got a, a better assignment or, or their team did well or whatever. You know, something happens good. 
But then the sawdust seeker comes in and tries to be a joy sucker and find something there that can be critical. And just look right in there and say, I can know I can pick something out there that is wrong. They seem this little perfect kind of good person, but there's got to be something in there that's negative. Boom, I found it. And I can guarantee you we can find a speck in anybody's eye. Everybody here has got sawdust in their eyes, okay? But it's the sawdust seekers that want to find it and they want to do that so they can bring down them and then build themselves up. Number two, you, they like to condemn in others what they tolerate in themselves. Condemn in others what they tolerate in themselves. You see, sometimes we see our faults in others, and so it's easier for us to condemn them because then I feel better about myself. And it's amazing that we will judge people about things that, that are resident in our own lives. A perfect example of this was in the Bible with, uh, with, with David. And when King David, uh, you, you remember, uh, all the kings went out to war. David did not. Uh, he went out to one afternoon, and there's Bathsheba, and she's out bathing, and, and uh, she's bathing out there. He looks at her. He lusts for her. He gets her name, asks her to come over. He comes over. Uh, he has an affair with her. Uh, she gets pregnant, and uh, he says, well, whose wife is she? He says, it's Uriah. It's one of your lead uh, commanders. So he gets the Uriah to come home off the battlefield, hoping he'll be there with his wife so, uh, so they can explain this pregnancy. But, but he'll have nothing to do with that. He's going to stay with his people. And so David has him murdered. So he has him murdered, and he goes to the funeral, and he sounds real teary-eyed, and he says, I'll take in Bathsheba, and, and we're going to um, uh, uh, you know, help her. We'll raise this child and everything. And he's living a lie. And he thought everything had been taken care of. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, hey, i got to tell you a situation that we got over here. He said, uh, we got, uh, we got some big rich guy over here and he's got lots of sheep and stuff. And we got a poor guy down over here in the valley. He's got one little good lamb, one little lamb that he's been saving up and, and, uh, he's wanting to use it for a special occasion for his family. And the King's got some out of town visitors coming in. He says, Hey, I need to get a good lamb. So he goes down to this guy who's got one lamb and he takes his lamb and he takes it from him and he goes and, and kills it and uses it to feed those out of town guests. David got ticked. And it's almost like he came out of his chair and he says, that is the worst thing that I've heard. That man, he should be taken. He should be pummeled. He should be punished. There's no way he should do that. And then Nathan looked at him and he says, David, you are the man. You're the man. You've got this whole kingdom. And yet you went to one man and you took his wife, his possession, and made her your own. And then you took his life. And from there, we get Psalm 53 of where, uh, Psalm 51, where David is repentant and broken before God on there. You see, what was happening, it was, it was easy to condemn others, but he was condemning in others what he was tolerating in himself. And so a lot of times when we are seeking out as being a sawdust seeker, we're looking for things in people's eyes, things they've done wrong. Because I've been able to tolerate what I've been doing wrong but I will seek it and I will condemn it in their eyes. Number three, enjoys telling others as a concerned friend. Gossip veiled as a prayer request. This is Christians. I would say Southern Baptists, but it's for all believers. All believers. There's a fine line between gossips and prayer requests. Do you agree with that? Mm-mm-mm. They enjoy telling others. You know, I... I um, 
I guess true confession here. I have a real short fuse for those who enjoy telling me bad things about other people. That's just who I am. And that's what this is. You just enjoy telling other people. Hey, let me tell you. You know what so-and-so did? You know what this person did? And see, a sawdust seeker will find out where that speck of sawdust is. And, and they, the way they deal with it is they tell other people about it. And then when they're super spiritual, they'll say, I'm just telling you this as a concerned friend because we need to pray for them. It's the one that when you say, you need to pray for, uh, for the Smith family. Usually a person, when they hear that, they're not satisfied with that. They've got to go deeper and deeper and deeper and find out and get what the dirt is, get what the scoop is. And then once they've got all the scoop, then they can come back to their prayer team and say, let me tell you why we're praying for the Smith family over here. They've got this going on and he did this and she did this and there's this and all of this. Okay. I'm just telling you that so we can pray more specifically. What a bunch of who. That is crazy. But a lot of that goes on. A lot of that goes on. I've sat in a lot of meetings when they say, hey, we want to pray for so-and-so, and it will not stop there. The questions have got to keep asking. We've got to get down to There's got to be some kind of dirt here that we've got to know. And then once I get to the dirt, I may pray for that person, but I tell you what, I'm feeling a lot better about myself because that's not my problem on there. But I enjoy that. See, that's what a sawdust seeker is. I mean, they're just moving. They're looking for the dirt. They're looking for the sawdust in the eyes. And when they get there, they put their spiritual hat on and says, I got to tell others because we got to pray for them. We got to pray for them. Okay. Number four, the last one is it's a sawdust seeker allows the failure of others to decrease their concern for their faults, for the faults that they know they have. All right. It's a lot. Hang on. It allows the failure of others to decrease their concern for the faults that they know they have. Comes back here. Once I've looked into you and I see a bunch of sawdust in your eyes, I feel a lot better and I really don't spend the time to look and see the faults that are in my own life. And see, when I know that I've, I'm messed up and I know I've got things that are wrong in my life, sometimes it sure is comforting to see others that are going through struggles and making mistakes and just messing up because then I go, oh, well, my life's not that bad. And then I step back And I say, you know, Lord, I don't need to go through that examination of my life. You know, I feel okay now. I'm I'm feeling, I'm feeling fine because so and so, all that dust in their eye. All right. That's a sawdust seeker. Jesus says, judge not so that you will be judged. Judge not. Don't be a sawdust seeker. So what are we supposed to be? Supposed to be a plank purger. Supposed to be a plank purger. Now, what is a plank purger? Plank purger sees sin in someone else and knows the priority is to get it out of their own life first. This is a plank purger. You see the sin in someone else's, in somebody else, and you know that the priority is I got to get it out of my own life first. It's all a matter of perspective. As soon as I look and I see some sawdust in your eye, then all of a sudden I need to stop and say, oh Lord, I got to look in the mirror because what is sitting there in my eye? All right. Listen, Jesus wants us to discern the sins and shortcomings in others, but he wants us to see them through clear, self-judged eyes that are tender and compassionate. 
So what are you supposed to do as a plank purger? This is it. Number one, the first thing is determine the root sin and the actions being judged. Determine the root sin and the actions being judged. If I look in your eye and I see that sawdust, that, that sin, that whatever it is in there, I need to get to the root of that. What is it? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it greed? What is that root that I see in that person's eye? So the first thing is I determine the root sin and the actions being judged. Not the action itself. What is the root sin? Then number two, I look for that same root in your life. Look for that same root in your life. Golly, I'll tell you what, that is, that is so prejudicial. That is so prejudicial what that person said. I need to stop and I say, now let me look at my own life. Have I got prejudice? Have I got racial prejudice? Have I got other kinds of prejudice in my life? I need to stop and say, boy, that person's just angry on this thing. Whoa, let me stop for a moment. As I'm looking and seeing a little speck of anger in that person's eye, have I got this huge plank of anger in my own life? Lord, let me, let me come to you and say, God, open me up and do some self-examination. Is there something in here that's got that same root sin that I need to deal with? Number three, you ask for forgiveness and for God to remove the plank from your eye. God's the only one that can do that. You ask for forgiveness. God, you know, I just looked at this guy here and I saw that he had such a mean-spirited attitude. God, you know what? You got a hold of my heart and I realize that these past two to three weeks... I've had that. I've been that way. And God, I ask you to forgive me of that. And I want you to take that out of my eye. I want you to take my heart and I want it to be clean and pure and understanding. I don't want to have that type of mean spirit. Okay. You ask God to remove that plank from your eye and then God does that. Then you come to number four and that is that you are to humbly and gently remove the sawdust from another's eye. The speck of sawdust needs to be removed. Jesus never said, if you see a speck in someone's eye, let it go. He didn't say that. He didn't say, let it go. He didn't say, sweep it under the carpet. He didn't say, turn a blind eye. In verse 5, he says, you first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The purpose of seeing clearly is not to clearly see the sin. You've already seen the sin. It is to be able to help take the sawdust out of his eye. Galatians 6.1 says this. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But look at this. You're to restore them. If you see someone caught in a transgression, guess what we're to do? We're to restore them. You see a speck in someone's eye, we need to come alongside and help remove that speck. Now, I I love the fact that Jesus used the illustration of sawdust in your eye or a plank in your eye. Because then he comes back and he says, you need to humbly and gently remove that sawdust from their eye. And the only way that can happen is if we are humble, sympathetic, and conscious of our own sins. And then we can come before someone and say, I got to be real open with you. This is what I see. 
and I want to pray with you and help you with this. And he used the eye. All right. How many people here have ever gotten anything in your eye? Sawdust, dust, a bug fly in your eye. Raise your hand. Anybody ever had that happen? Yes, we all have. Now, when you got something in your eye like that, and you start blinking, and it's hurting, right? It, it hurts. And then you've got a friend over here. Do you call a friend over here and say, hey, can you get this out of your eye? And they got these old huge gnarly fingers saying, yeah, let me come after it. Let me get in there. What do you say? No, 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 no. And anytime somebody starts to reach into your eye, what's the normal thing for you to do? What do you do? You close it, right? Somebody, if you don't think that happens, turn to your neighbor and stick your finger in their eye and see if they close it, all right? <laughs> there you go. Thank you. you now we got two blind ones over here. That's great. Oh, bye. Got to go here. Look out. You blinded me. But whenever you come to someone, you've got to be real gentle. And so using the illustration, if you've got sawdust in your eye, if you want someone to help you to remove that, they're going to have to be real gentle to come in there and to find that. And, and you know, when you drop your eye down and, and someone looks in there and says, oh, yeah, you got an eyelash there, or you got some dust there, hold on, oh, a little gnat flew in there, just a second, just a second, just a second, and they get it out. That's what he's saying. He said, once you've got everything cleared out of your own eyes, then all of a sudden you can humbly and gently come to someone and say, hey, let's see if we can get that removed out of your eye. I want to pray with you. Let's walk through this and let's make this work. But then he closes it out with an odd verse about dogs and pigs, right? And uh, I'd love to just wrap the message up, but I know you're going to ask me afterwards what this means. I don't know. <laughs> no. He says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You can read a lot of different commentaries and get a lot of different uh, explanations on that. Some people think it means that, hey, don't, don't waste the gospel on, on some folks. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't go with that. It was funny. I read a couple commentaries that says, you know, the people that are just going to ridicule you and, uh, and revile you for taking the gospel to them, then what this verse is saying is that don't, don't take it to them. You know, it's, it's not worth to leave that with them. Go take others. And then I thought about Larry Taunton with Fixed Point Foundation. How he went into the beast, uh, into the belly of the beast in Seattle, a godless city, and he uh, did a, a debate with an atheist there, and it was on the atheist home turf. I mean, there were not more than a handful of believers even in that whole room, and they're doing this debate. And at the end of the debate, whereas it started, there was like a little golf applause for Larry Taunton. By the time it ended, there was a raucous applause. And when the thing was over, when you looked at the lines as to who was lined up to talk to Larry Taunton from Fixed Point Foundation, who was lined up to talk to Michael Shermer, the atheist, that was 10 times longer, those wanting to talk to Larry, than there was over here. Because he went in there and he shared the truth. He did it in a very loving way, but authoritative way. So I don't see that. But what I do see is that when he says, you know, you don't give dogs what is holy. As a Jew, you have food that is dedicated. You wouldn't give it to dogs. That'd be against that. You don't throw pearls to swine. They didn't like swines. There was dirty animals. And if you threw a pearl to a swine, it wouldn't know what to do with it. It just wants to eat something, and they're not going to eat, eat pearls. I believe what it means is, is, is that Jesus is like he gives us permission to say, you go and you share and you share and you share. But if it gets to the point to where there is just a closeness, they are just closed totally. 
then you can move on. Then you can move on. But it is interesting that the very next verse talks about praying, asking, seeking, knocking. And that is something you need to pray to God and say, God, do I need to shake the dust from my feet and move on? Jesus did it. His disciples did it. Paul did it. They would be preaching somewhere. It was rejected. He says, hey, I'm going to go somewhere else. So that's how I see that. But it does not give you like a, 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 a get out of jail free card where we're not going to share with these people. No, you continue to share. But if God's spirit comes to you after a number of times of sharing and it says, you know what? This person is just doesn't care. And they have, want to have nothing to do with it. Then you just move on. You've, you've planted the gospel seed. Let God begin to work in that heart. But most important of all of this is you got to determine who you are. Are you a sawdust seeker or are you a plank purger? And uh, we all can go through times in our lives to where we're like these little sawdust seekers, but we don't need to be. We need to be the plank purgers. And that next time you see someone that you know is struggling with something, may we all be a plank purger and stop and say, God, let me look at my own life. Let me deal with this. And then when I've got these loving, uh, humble, compassionate eyes, I then approach this individual and say, let's work through this together. And you know what? Whenever you've had sawdust, a gnat, an eyelash in your eye, it is one of the most miserable things because it affects everything. You're blinking, you're hurting, you can't think about anything else. But whenever that gets removed from your eye, that's a great feeling, isn't it? And see, it'll be the same for that person that's got that little speck of sawdust. What they're doing is they're looking for some plank purger to come by and to help them. And once you remove that, man, it's a whole better world for them. Okay? Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, um, just thank you for for the opportunity to know that we can learn about not only what you teach us, but then we can take it and we can apply it. We know that in life, there's a lot of things that get kicked up, a lot of dust and things that happen and they get into our eyes. And we start heading in some wrong directions. And Lord, I pray that each person here, whenever they think about that, will take seriously what it means to be a plank purger. And to know that you have called us to be the people that will go and to minister to those who are heading in some wrong directions, making some wrong decisions. They just need someone loving, caring, merciful, compassionate to come by and to be able to share with them and to direct them in that right direction. We thank you, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.